three. This is different from what's in your notes, uh, kind of change of plans here at last minute. But I'd like to look at this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and follow as I read, beginning at uh, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Will you please pray with me? Amen. I decided this morning to changed the message that I was going to preach from our series as we've been going through 1 John. And I wanted to preach this message. I did preach it while I was down in Mexico, and I preached it a few years ago here at Bible Chapel. And uh, in light of what the urban family is going through, and they've been very much on my mind as I was in Mexico and talking with Darla by the phone, I just thought, I thought it would be good for us here to look at this passage of Scripture that Paul makes this amazing statement. He says that all things are yours. All things are yours. And what we find here is a little treasure chest of some of the blessings that Christ has won for us. And we find many of these in the New Testament, just little glimpses into the vast riches of the blessings that are ours in Christ. We read in Ephesians 1, where Paul says and breaks out in doxology, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. And then as you go through Ephesians 1, it gives us many of those blessings that are given there. So we find a rich deposit there of these blessings that are ours in Christ. We also see in um, John 1.16, John says that out of the fullness of Christ and who he is, we have received grace upon grace. We have received one grace after another of God's goodness and his kindness to us in Christ. And it has all come to us in Christ out of who he is. Grace upon grace. Romans 8. Amazing words. If God is for us, if we're in Christ, we are able to say if God is for us, who can be against us? For he spared not his own son, and if he spared not his own son, will he not with him freely give us 
all things. Everything that we need. And Peter tells us that he's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And so as we think of our union with Christ, we have been given many, many blessings. In fact, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. If you are in Christ, and that's descriptive of every believer, if you're a Christian, you are in Christ, you're united to him, and all the promises of God, all the blessings of God are yes and amen in him. I've used this illustration many times over the years, but as you know, when I got married, I was in debt. I had just finished seminary, had some debt, and uh, didn't have much to my name. And when I got married to Jackie, she had a brand new sports car. She had money in the bank and she had a house full of furniture. And uh, so I married up. But when we stood here in this place and we both said, I do, she said, I do to my debts. And I said, I do to her blessings and the things that she had. Suddenly, I was part owner in a new car and uh, Suddenly had all this furniture and some money in the bank. So it was a good deal for me, but not so much for her. And that's the way it is with Christ. Christ has taken our sin debt. He has borne it away as he went to the cross. And he has lavished upon us his righteousness and all the riches and blessings that he's won for us. As we come to this passage in 1 Corinthians 3, here's another little treasure chest of some of those blessings that Christ has given to us. And so here we have just kind of a sampling of some of these gifts that are ours, just a handful of them that are given here. Now, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, we know it had a lot of problems, a lot of issues. There was kind of a sectarian spirit. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And there was this division among them. And then there were those who were listening to some of the um, human wisdom of the day. Men with some oratory skills. And uh, they were being led away by this wisdom that is of this world that Paul speaks about here. And it's foolishness, he said. And as he writes to these believers, he wants to encourage them that what they have in Christ is everything that they need. And here in these two verses, 21 and 22 and 23, I should say, Paul speaks about this blessing that we have, some of these blessings that we have in Christ. Verse 21, don't listen to the wisdom of this world. It's foolishness. And therefore, let no one boast in men. And then he makes this amazing statement for all things are yours. All things are yours. And so here he kind of unpacks some of those things. First of all, all the ministers of the gospel are yours. Notice he says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. They were saying, you know, I'm of Paul and I'm a, I'm a follower of Apollos or I'm a follower of Cephas. And there was kind of this division among them. And Paul says, don't you know that all of these men are gifts that God has given to you for your benefit and for your good? Ephesians 4 says that when Christ 
ascended to heaven. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then he gave some, he gave gifts to men. Some he gave to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor, teachers. And these are some of Christ's good gifts. As we were at MITC, this is a school that is producing young men to go up into the mountain regions in that area of Mexico to plant churches. And over the last 20 years or so, they have planted over 200 churches. That's why I love this ministry. And they're training these men to go and to preach the gospel and plant churches. And these are gifts that God has given to his church. And we are blessed as we think about the many resources that we have. And we can go online and we can listen to all kinds of wonderful preachers. And they are God's gift. Those who teach the word of God, they are God's gift to the church for equipping the saints for the work of the ministry until we all come to a unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we're not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So Paul says, all things are yours, these ministers of the gospel. They're all yours for your good. They have been gifted by Christ to his church. So here's the first thing. All things are yours Those who minister the gospel and spiritual gifts for our good. Secondly, he says here, all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or the world. The world is yours. Now, in what sense is that? Now, sometimes in the Bible, the world is used in an ethical way. Uh, It speaks of the world that is in rebellion against God. And we're not to love the world, as we've learned in John. Do not love this world. It is passing away. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says in Romans 12, too. It's seeking to press you in its ungodly way of thinking and living. Don't allow the world to do that. This isn't the world that he's speaking about here. But I believe it's speaking about the physical world, the universe that God has created That this world belongs to Christ and it belongs to his people. This world that is under the sway of the wicked one in terms of people that living in it. But in this physical world that God had made from the beginning to be a blessing to his people, this world belongs to you. And we go back and we read in Genesis 1 that everything that God had made was very good. And that world was a paradise. It was a beautiful place and it was full of rich blessings for Adam and Eve. What a gracious, benevolent God that he would give them such a world to live in. Now, we live in this world. It's fallen. Um, It's certainly not a paradise as what they knew, but there are still many blessings in this world as we live here. But as we think about this world, as we look at what the Bible has to say about it and our worldview encompasses this truth that this world is one day going to be redeemed as well. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that this present world is groaning. It is groaning and waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. So this world in which we live, the physical universe Under a curse, but it is groaning and it is anticipating a day that is going to come 
when God is going to make all things new, a new world. And Hebrews 1, Paul tells, or the, the apostle tells us that Jesus is the heir of the world. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that we are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, you are a joint heir with Christ. Think about that. You are the joint heir of the one who is sitting at the right hand of the father, a joint heir with him. Sometimes we think, boy, it'd be nice to be an heir of somebody that's really rich. (laughs) Well, you are if you're a Christian. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and he is the heir of the world. It is his. And there's coming a day when he will make all things new. Psalm 37 says, don't fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, do good, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently on him. And Psalm 37 is a wonderful psalm because it goes on to speak about the hope of the believer. And it says probably a half a dozen times or more that evildoers are going to be cut off. They're going to be cut off from the world, from the new creation that God is going to bring about. And we see this idea throughout the Old Testament to be for people to be cut off. Adam and Eve were cut off from the garden. You remember that there was an angel that was placed there with a flaming sword so that they could not go back into paradise. They were cut off from paradise. In the Old Testament, we have various laws that God had given to Israel. And had they broken some of these laws, these high-handed acts of sin against God, there was a punishment for it. And often it was the death penalty. They would be cut off from the people of God. They would be cut off from the land. And Israel themselves had been cut off out of the promised land because of their sin. And they were taken into Babylon and Assyria. And so there is this idea that God will cut off the unbelieving, the evil worker. But in the same chapter, we have this promise that the godly, the believer, will inherit the earth. And Jesus picks up that language, doesn't he, in his Sermon on the Mount. He says that blessed are the meek for what? From Psalm 37, the meek shall inherit the earth. We read in Romans 4 of Abraham, and it says that Abraham was the heir of the world. In the gospel, there is this hope, this eschatological hope that we have, that God is one day going to make all things new. Peter says about that, you know, the scoffers are saying, where's the promise of his coming? Well, Peter says he is going to come. He is going to come. And as he comes, he is going to bring in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Hard for us to imagine that today, isn't it? A world in which righteousness dwells. That will be the mark of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, how... Do we get to inherit that with Christ? We get to inherit that because he himself was cut off. 
We read in Isaiah 53 these words that he was cut off out of the land of the living, just like a sinner would be cut off from among the people of Israel because of their high handed sin. There was they were to be cut off. And it says here that he that is Christ was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Think about that. Paradise will be restored. And all who belong to Christ will enter into this new heaven and this new earth that is going to be given to them. And it's only possible because of this one who was cut off out of the land of the living for our sin, for our transgressions, so that we might be made acceptable before a holy God and enter in. I love Revelation 21 where John sees this vision. He sees coming down out of heaven the temple of God as it comes down and he sees a new heaven and a new earth. And he sees God dwelling in the midst of his people. And it goes on to say there that at this time there will be no more sin, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease. And he will wipe away Every tear from every eye. We're going to weep our way into heaven, aren't we? A lot of tears. But there's coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And he will make all things new. He will make all things new. So Paul says all things are yours. This world is yours. And then he says, the next thing is also all things are yours, including the world or life. Life is yours. Now, we certainly have physical life. God has given us physical life. But when the Bible talks about life, it's talking about everlasting life. And it's talking about not just a life that never ends, but he's speaking about a kind of life. A quality of life. A specific kind of life. And we are given some insight as to what is the essence of this life in the prayer of Jesus in John 17. What a wonderful prayer. And we get a window into the heart of Christ as he is going to the cross. And he says, Father, you've given me a people That I might give unto them eternal life. And what is eternal life? But that but that they may know you. The true and the living God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We love relationships, getting to know new people. When we go to Mexico, we we just love trying to communicate with people that speak a different language. Some of them speak English, but. We just love getting to know these students and the professors there. And it's such a rich blessing when you meet another believer and you just enjoy getting to know more and more about them. But here is the essence of this life that I think uh, Paul is speaking about here. The essence of this life is knowing God. The greatest and the best of all beings getting to know him more and more. This enjoying this life, this quality of life 
that he has given to us in his son. If you have the son, you have this life. And it's knowing the true and the living God and everything that goes with that. In thy presence, there is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The greatest and the best of all beings. To know him, this is this life that he's speaking of here. Jonathan Edwards said this. Speaking on this verse, how soon do earthly lovers come to an end of their discoveries of each other's beauty? How soon do they see all there is to be seen? But in heaven, there is eternal progress with new beauties always being discovered. Happiness of heaven is progressive and has various periods in which it has a new and a glorious advancement and consists very much in beholding the manifestations that God makes of himself in the work of redemption. And Edwards believed as we are in heaven that we will become increasingly happier in heaven because we will have a never-ending, ever-increasing ever discovery of more and more of God's glory with greater and greater joy in him. So we got a couple new married couples here, and you're beginning to continue to get to know one another more and more. And I pray that will increase in your married life. You learn more about each other. You become more entwined together and become one flesh. But as we think about our God, here is this truth that we will in his presence fullness of joy at his right hand pleasures forevermore getting to know him more and more in this life and in the life to come this is life and it is yours it is yours in Jesus Christ now when I read this a few years ago this next statement kind of caught my attention not only is life yours But death is yours. This might seem a little strange to us. Death is ours. All things are yours. Death is yours. Hebrews speaks about death as being the last great enemy that keeps people in fear and in bondage all their lifetime. You think about one of the greatest fears that men and women can have in this world, and it is the fear of death. And Paul says here that all things are yours, even death itself. How is it that death can be a gift, if you will, something that Christ has won for us that becomes a blessing when death death is in reality, it's an ugly thing. It is hard to watch someone to die. But Paul says it is yours. Death is a gift. Christ has won for us. That last great enemy has now been made to be a gift that is given to you. Now, how is this so? I want to just suggest a couple of things. First of all, death will bring an end to the struggle that every believer has in this world as he battles against remaining corruption that is in all of us. If you're a believer today, you know, you know this reality that 
there is this conflict that goes on within us. The spirit and the flesh butting heads in us, remaining corruption, and we fight against that. If you're a believer, that's true for you. If you live according to the spirit, you're going to know this. That there is this battle that goes on within us. We struggle and we fight. But, you know, death becomes our friend in this way that when death comes, it is the end. It is the end of that. And when we see Christ, we shall be like him. We've been predestined to be conformed to his image and his likeness. And death will be the servant to bring that about as we are ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. A second thing that death does, it it brings an end to the groanings in our bodies. Romans 8, Paul says, we are all we, we groan in these bodies that we have. Anybody groaning today? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, if you're not groaning, just wait as you get older. You will be. We do groan in these bodies. We groan in this world. We groan. But there is a way in which death will become our servant. And death will bring us to an end of these groanings and again bring us into the presence of the Lord. And one day a new glorified body. No longer struggling against sin. No longer struggling about struggles and sufferings that we endure in our flesh, in our bodies. It will be no more. And I've used this illustration many times. I've always appreciated the words of Richard Baxter, who is a Puritan pastor. As he was dying, like our brother John, he was on his deathbed. He was near to death. And all of his members from his church were coming to see him. They loved their pastor. And as one of the parishioners came to visit him one day, he said to him, Dr. Baxter, how are you doing today? And he uttered this this simple statement of faith and hope in the face of death. He said, I am almost well. I'm almost well. There was a funeral down in Mexico while we were there. A girl that we've known, her name is Esther. Her father had passed away. He had struggled for several years, and uh, he passed away. And I had preached that, and I, I used that statement in one of my sermons on the Sunday before, and the funeral was the next day. One of the ladies who was in the service that morning and was at the funeral came up to me and said concerning her brother, he's now well. I said, yes, he is now well. So death becomes our servant, and there is no more groanings in these bodies. But thirdly, death brings us to God. Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Psalm 23, that is familiar to us, that Ken read for us speaks about the good shepherd who loves the sheep and cares for them. And even when they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist says they need not fear 
any evil. Why? For thou art with me. Lord, you are with me. Lord Jesus, you are with me. And he ushers us into the very presence of his father. And so this gospel is a gospel that takes death and makes it to be our servant. This death and sin that had the power to damn us, to send us to an eternal hell that we deserve, has by the grace of God been turned to be our servant. And it is no longer our dreaded enemy. So Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? It is gain. What a perspective. It is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he said, I'm hard pressed between the two. I want to stay and minister, but also have a desire to part and be with the Lord. He says to the Corinthians that we are confident of this. There are things as believers that we are confident of. We are confident that to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. This is our hope today for our brother John. As his life is ebbing away, to be absent from the body is to be immediately at home with the Lord. In some ways we ought to be jealous of John. What an amazing transformation. What an amazing change in a moment of time. Absent from the body. At home with the Lord. John Gill said their own death is a blessing to them. The sting is taken away by Christ. The curse is removed. It is no penal evil to them. It's no judgment or condemnation to them. Rather, death is a deliverance of them from all sorrows and troubles of this life and is their passage into endless glory and happiness. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Amazingly enough, all things are yours, including death itself. This last great enemy has been made a servant by the work of Christ for his people, a servant to serve them in these and other ways. Paul goes on to talk about things present or things to come. Things in this present life, our, our present day, or our tomorrows. All things are yours. For these days, for the present and for the days to come, we know, according to Romans 8.28, that God is working all things together for good. To those who love him, to those who've been called according to his purpose. All things are yours. All things in this present life and in the days that are to come. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How long? All the days of my life. And then I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy. This is what we receive out of the fullness of who Christ is. All of these things 
are yours. Things present and things to come. Believer, if you're in Christ, you are rich. You have a deposit of riches that has been won for you by Jesus Christ, and you are rich. I read one time someone said that some people are so, so poor because all they have is money. Some people are so poor, all they have is money. They think money is going to make them happy. Well, you don't have to have money to be rich. If you're a believer, you are rich, immeasurably rich because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 6. He says in verse 10, as sorrowful Yet always rejoicing. The irony of the Christian life sometimes. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. And then he says this. As having nothing. And yet possessing all things. (laughs) Possessing all things. That are ours in Christ. We belong to this God, the greatest and the best of all beings. And he has poured out his riches to us in Jesus Christ. Today, as we conclude here, may we rejoice in the riches that are ours in Christ. God forbid that we complain, that we murmur. But may we bless the Lord. May we bless the Lord and forget none of these blessings and many others that he's given to us. As we close, if you're here today and not a follower of Christ, not one who has repented and turned from your sins and put your faith completely in Jesus Christ as a Savior to save you as a sinner. These are not yours. And you will be cut off from this world that is yet to come. You will be cut off from the presence of God in whom there is fullness of joy. And you will go to a place of everlasting torment. There's a warning that is given in Scripture for you to flee to this Christ. To flee to him. He's the savior and the friend of sinners. And he says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will pour out my riches and my blessings upon you. And it's all found in him. And as a preacher of the gospel, I would say to you, I beseech you to be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be a day of salvation for you, that you will run to him, that you'll call upon him to be your savior, to be your redeemer, and to give you these blessings by his grace. I invite you as we close this morning, if you will, to turn to 419. As we think of our brother John, as we think of this passage of scripture 
reminds us of these many blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ, especially that death has been made to be our servant. We are able to have hope in the midst of even facing death and as we live in this fallen world. So let's stand together and may we make this a prayer for ourselves as well as for our brother John and his family together.